And uh, this, today I have tried to do a little better with time management. And I can say that before we're finished because I've, I'm only going to cover one verse today. But Habakkuk 2 verse number 4 is uh, quite a popular verse. You see it quoted in the New Testament uh, three different times. Uh, you have it, Paul uses it twice and then in the book of Hebrews, might have been Paul again there. Let's go ahead and read just verses 1 down to 4 so that you uh, remember the context and then we'll jump in at verse 4. So Habakkuk says here in verse 1, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Remember, this is a conversation going back and forth with Habakkuk and the Lord. And he's asking some very deep, pointed, and difficult questions. Why, God, are you allowing all of these atrocities, this injustice to go on? And it's seemingly, Lord, you, you're not doing anything about it. So why? And God answered him, this is what I'm going to do about it. And then the next question came up, but God, those Chaldeans, they're worse than we are. How could you use... Those kind of people, why, why wouldn't you be punishing them? And now he's waiting for the answer. The Lord, in verse 2, gives the answer. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not Terry. Verse 4, where we will focus our attention this morning, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Now, the reason I wanted to refresh your memory, just so that you can remember what we've talked about already, but also I think it's important to understand this verse within its context. God is giving the answer to Habakkuk. Lord, what are you going to do about punishing the Chaldeans and all the wickedness in the world? Really, this question could be extended that far. The Lord says, sit down, write this down, and don't worry, this will come to pass. It will take a while, but it will come to pass. Now, this has been, we've been waiting for over 2,000 years for these things to be fulfilled completely, for God to come, come back and punish all the injustice and wickedness of, of the earth. There is a great temptation then for somebody to say God's plan has failed. God is taking too long. Now this is precisely what Peter wrote about in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said that in the last days scoffers would come and say that all things have continued as they were since the foundation of the, of the earth. Nothing's changed, so where is the promise of His coming? And they would begin to doubt it. Now if you're going to doubt what God said he's going to do about the problem. Well, let's think this through to its next logical step. If you think God's plan has failed, what are you going to do to fix all the problems? You're going to make your own plan. You're going to say God's plan doesn't work, so I will make my own plan. God is not going to fix these problems. I'll fix them. Verse 4, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. To think that, that any of us, right, even collectively, that the world could put together their collective good, in, uh, good intentions, their collective intelligence, and say, all right, let's figure out a way to eradicate evil, wickedness, injustice, to create peace and harmony. And people do try that, don't they? 
They try to make up social uh, programs and, and they try to legislate righteousness and say you have to feel this way about that person. You can't say these kind of words. And they try to create an environment where, which looks peaceful on the surface, but it's not going to work out completely. Never does. So verse 4, is, it, it's, you must understand it in its context because if we don't, we could really go on and on. There's a lot in verse 4. His soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. It's, it's a statement about pride. It's a statement about pride. And when we talk about that, do you see how we could just go on speaking for a long time generally about pride, the dangers of it. And listen, guys, pride is ugly no matter who it's coming from, no matter, it's, no matter when it's happening. From Genesis to Revelation, pride has always been a very ugly thing. And, and rather than address the general problem of pride, I'm going to try to stick with what we have in verse 4 and what the author is intending to give us here. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. Notice that's not the end of the sentence. That's just we've gotten to the middle there. And then the next word is but. So we have this disjunctive conjunction. It holds the sentence together, but it shows us that there's the other side of the coin. I think in order to appreciate the statement about pride and how dangerous it is to get lifted up, to think of yourself more than you ought. In order to appreciate that, we must understand the last half of the verse. All right, so the just shall live by his faith. That's the part of the verse that is quoted three times in the New Testament. It's a big deal. The just shall live by his faith. Let me point that out quickly before we move on. That word his, that possessive, his, it does not appear in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it just says the just shall live by faith. But as you can see, by that time, uh, when we get to the New Testament, it's clear whose faith we're talking about. It is His faith. It is not the faith of the just man. God is not asking you to create your own system of beliefs for you to figure out what you think is the best way to live and then live by that. Just, just believe in yourself. That's that's kind of a worldly, secular approach to making people feel better about themselves. and That's not the kind of faith we're dealing with here. The just shall live by his faith. And in the New Testament, as I've said, it becomes clear that the faith we're dealing with there is the faith of Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you many verses that will go with that. If you can, please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. All right, we're going to spend just a moment making sure that we're all on the same page when it comes to the word faith, because that is one of those, it's a very important biblical word, but I believe there's been some, um, let's say, bad information or bad understanding surrounding that. So let's talk about faith just for a moment and what that is. Faith, so many times critics and skeptics of Christianity, they accuse us of having blind faith. That is, somebody just shows up and says, hey, believe this. And we don't look into it. It doesn't matter if it makes sense. We just follow along blindly. And that is not biblical faith at all. I want to show you what our faith is based on and why we are very secure and happy to have this kind of faith. Romans 3, verse number 3. It says here, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Now think of this, 
Think of this in light of the phrase blind faith. Because the way that a lot of skeptics use it, faith is always blind faith. They say faith is what you have when you have no evidence, when you have no reason, when you have no logic. You just believe it without any sense behind it. Okay, if that's faith, then what do we do with this? The faith of God. Are we to say that God is blind? Are we to say that God believes something for absolutely no reason? Well, that would be ridiculous, right? God being omniscient in God's eyes, right? He, he sees the evil and the just. He sees it all. So this is obviously, it can't be a blind faith that we're dealing with, right? When we're talking here about the faith of God, this is what God believes. Now, God, I, I, am, I think it's, we're all on the same page here to say that God believes in the facts, right? It's not like God believes in some fictional fairy tale that doesn't actually exist, when God speaks to mankind, He's telling them this is how it actually is. He's revealing to us things that we couldn't have figured out on our own in many cases, right? And He's saying this is what you can't see going on, especially in the spiritual realm. This applies. There are some physical things that God can reveal to us. But when we think about things like the creation of the world, nobody was there to see that, so we need somebody to reveal that to us. That just makes perfect sense, and that is logical, by the way. And there's plenty of evidence to support the claim that there is a creator behind the creation. That, that is a consistent thought. Now, what Paul is pointing out in Romans 3.3, 3, just because the Jews who... It was, um, how can I say this properly? God revealed his words to Jewish people, right? They wrote it down. So they're, they're the ones that had the, their hands on the pen of the Bible in the Old Testament. Now, some of those same Jews, or let's say people within the Jewish nation, they didn't believe what these prophets and other scribes were writing down. So Paul's point is, even if some Jews don't believe the Bible, that doesn't make it any less powerful, doesn't make it any less true. The faith of God, it still has effect. You can see in verse number two, much every way, chiefly because that unto them, that is unto the Jews, were committed the oracles of God. Oracles is just another fancy word for words, right? So unto the Jews were committed the words of God. Now what if some of those Jews didn't believe those words? That doesn't make those words any less true. They're still true. But I want you to notice the synonym here. The words of God or the oracles is equal to the faith of God. Everybody see that? Verse 2, oracles of God. Verse 3, he, just, he uses a different word to communicate the same thought, the faith of God. So when God speaks to people, he's saying, this is what I believe, this is what I know to be true, and this is what I'd like for you to know. Right? Now come a little forward in Romans, get chapter 10. Right? That is God's faith. And remember, the just shall live by His faith. <clears throat> Romans 10, verse 17. Romans 10, 17. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the, what? The Word of God. How does faith operate? How, how do we get faith? It starts with God giving His words. You hear it. You understand it. it you go, okay, that, that makes sense and you believe it, that's all included in the hearing of it. Right? Or let's say uh, in arriving at the, he in the um, hearing it is helping you arrive at the believing of it. All right? So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Now this is Paul's summary of what he wrote in verses 13 and 14. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's that? That's the outward manifestation of believing something. Right? That's the outward manifestation of it. You believe it in your heart, and then it comes out of your mouth. Right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Verse 14. How then shall they call, in, in, call on him in whom they have not believed? See, so now he's going to work his way backwards. The outward manifestation of faith is you proclaiming it. Now, work one step back. Well, first you have to believe it before you would claim it. All right, how are they going to call on him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? So somebody had to show up and explain it to you. And, and not, they didn't show up. No prophet in the Bible. No, Jesus didn't do this. The apostles didn't show up and say, listen, believe me. That's it. Believe me. They always came with believe it because as it is written. Or believe me, and if you need evidence, boom, here's a miracle. There was always something to confirm the word. Always. Verse 14 again. How shall they believe in him and whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how, it says in, in verse 15, how shall they preach except they be sent? That gets you all the way back to God. Do you see that? So Paul, now verse 17 just summarizes that. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. God tells the preacher, the prophet, the prophet goes and tells the people, the people understand it, they believe it, and then they call upon the Lord. That's how faith operates, right? That's how we get to faith. It starts with God giving his word. Now, you might be familiar with this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And then at, by the end of that chapter, Peter says, by this word, the gospel was preached unto you. So what does God do? God sends His Son and then later the apostles and He says, go tell them how to have life. This is where they're going to find life. And that word, Peter likens it to a seed. Well, it is a seed. Right? Being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. So this word is planted in your heart when, when you accept it. If you don't accept it, it falls by the wayside. When you accept it, that word comes into your heart and now it begins to grow. That life is in there. And that, and that life begins to grow. Come to 1 John chapter 5. Alright, now we've established, hopefully, I, I, I hope, I'd, I think I struggled a bit to explain it perfectly, but I think you got the point. Faith, faith biblically is what God said. Now, remember, with, when we're talking about faith, there's two ways you can understand it. Faith is, you can talk about it as the act of believing something. I have faith in this. Right? I, when I go out to my car later today, I turn the key, I have faith it will start. Right? That's, that's the active version of faith. But then also, you can talk about the substance of faith. What do you believe? So, of what faith are you? Maybe, I don't know if that's a common English phrase here, but in America we still use that quite a bit when I was growing up. Of what faith are you? We're asking, what belief system do you have? What, what creed do you uh, accept? Right? So, we're talking, in one way you can talk about the act of believing, and then in the other way you can talk about it as what you're believing. Right? So, either way, faith would be appropriate there. So, what is our faith? Well, God said it. That's what, we're, what we are believing. 1 John 5, let's get verse number 10. I'm sorry, let's get verse 9. Let's start there. 1 John 5 and 9. It says, If we receive the witness of men, 
the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. I understand what's happening here. The witness of men. If some guy comes up to you and explains, hey, this is how such and such a thing works. And he does a good job of explaining it. Would you believe him? Sure, if he has sufficient proof. Absolutely. Why not? All right, if you would accept a man explaining something and believing it, why would you not accept God showing up with proof and saying this is how it works? This is how you get life. Right? This, if it makes sense, why not accept that? Verse uh, 10, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Now that witness is actually referring to the Holy Spirit, and that's back in verses 7 and 8. He hath this witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath, not, uh, hath made him a liar. This therefore becomes one of the greatest sins you can commit, if not the greatest sin, is when God reveals something to you, gives it to you in his word, and then you say, no, I don't think it's that way. I don't know of a greater slap in God's face than to say, God, I know that's what you think is happening, but let me tell you what's actually going on. I know you think that Jesus guy was your son and that he died for sins and rose again, but that can't be the way of life. Let me tell you, to, to stand up to God in that way, I don't know if there's anything more rude you can do. And, and to be honest, a little crazy, right? I mean, that, that seems very dangerous hath made him a liar, verse 10, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Can I try to make a connection here? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God that he gives to us is this record. So he's telling you, here's what you should believe. Here's the record. Here's how it is. From beginning to end, A to Z, here's how I started creation, here's where it went wrong, and here's what I did to fix it. Do you see how this all comes together? Genesis all the way to Christ, and we can talk about this all the way to, 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 to Jesus coming again. This is God's plan. That's what Habakkuk is talking about. When, when Jesus comes back, finishes off injustice, and, and recompenses all the unrighteousness. So A to Z, God has covered it. Here's the record. Now, if you want to have life, the just shall live by faith. By his faith. So God says, I'll tell you how to, how, how to have life. You're not going to get it by making up your own way back to God. That would be the, the soul of a man getting upright in him, thinking he's upright, lifting himself up, going, I'll fix it, God, stand back. Whoo! That guy might have good intentions. You know, a lot of them do. But it doesn't make, it doesn't make his path right. How many of you remember this verse from Proverbs? There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of? Death. Proverbs 14, 12. The end thereof are the ways of death. It seems right. But God, if everybody would just do this, we'd all get along. Everybody would be fine. Everybody would have enough. And this, if everybody followed my plan, and God says, I created you. I promise my plan will work. So God gave a record of his son. Look at verse 11. Real simple. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Now, verse 12 cannot be more simple. It cannot be simpler. Every word in the verse is a one-syllable word. It's simple. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 
at the end of the day, that's what matters. Do you have the Son of God living inside of you? So how do I get that? God delivers a record to you and says, this is what I did to fix the sin problem. This is what I've done, not only to fix the injustices of the world, but to fix your own injustices. The sins you've committed, the wrongs you've done towards God and towards others. I sent my son to pay for those sins, to reconcile you to me, to fix things between you and me. And if you want to find forgiveness, you find it in my son. Now, if you have the son, you have life. You make up any other way, and you don't have life. This is very consistent with what Jesus said, is it not? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Right? So that's where you're going to find life. The just shall live by his faith, by God delivering it to him. Let's come to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Now as you find that, let me quote a verse I think you're all familiar with, or many of you at least. For by grace are you saved through faith. Remember this? And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should, should what? Boast. Now think about that in light of Habakkuk 2. The soul which is lifted up is not upright. He would be boasting. But that's not how you get back to God. It's not through your own efforts. It's through doing it God's way. So God says, here's what I want you to believe. Here's how I want you to behave. Accept the faith I'm giving you. Too many times somebody will read those verses in Ephesians 2. For, great, for by grace you save through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. They say, you see, you're not able to believe until God gives you this gift of faith. And in their understanding, the gift of faith is the ability to believe, the act of believing. But remember, that's only one way of thinking about faith. The other way of thinking about faith is the substance of what you believe. It's the record that God gives. So what God gives us as a gift that we do not deserve, completely an act of grace, is He says, hey, you never would have figured this out on your own. So I'm going to give you something that you could not do in your own strength, you could not know in your own power. Here it is. Here's the way back to me. The record is it's all through Jesus Christ. See, that's the gift that He gives us. So for by grace are you saved through faith. What kind of faith? The faith that God gives, not the ability to believe. We all have that. But what to believe? It's the what to believe. So if by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of, our, uh, of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Have I taken you to Galatians 3? Let your eyes travel back to Galatians 2. Would you do that just real quick? Galatians 2, verse 16. I just want you to see the wording of this. Galatians 2.16 Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? By the faith of Jesus Christ. That is His faith. And it's given to us freely. 
It goes on to say, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the, here it is again, the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Notice in one verse you have both aspects of faith. You have the act of believing and the substance of what is being believed. Do you see it in that verse? Look at it again. But by the, the faith of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? That's the substance. And then watch the action come in. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ. That's the act of believing. Do you see it? And then he flips back to the other one that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Now we're back to the substance of what we believe. Now in chapter 3, what Paul does is compare two systems of, of belief, actually. There's the works of the law and the faith of Christ. Right? And when the works of the law, what this side believes is if we do good enough at keeping these laws, we will save ourselves. We will, we will make ourselves righteous enough in the sight of God that He will accept us. And we will therefore give ourselves a chance in the resurrection. We will come up and we will be accepted. We will live with God forever because of our good works. That's the system of law. Save yourself. Now on the other side, the system of faith or grace, that's also part of it. We can't save ourselves. We're not good enough. So Jesus Christ came and died in our place, and now salvation is offered freely to all. Now throughout chapter 3, Paul is going to use two things synonymously. How to be justified. Uh, let me not say synonymously. He's going to use these two things at the same time, because they do go together. How to be justified and how to be regenerated. I'm using the big biblical term there, but how to have life. We can also say how to be born again, okay? Those two things, they're not the same, but they always go together. Because once you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, His blood washes away your sins. That makes you right in the sight of God, right? So that's justification. It's declaring you righteous. And now God says, now that the sins are gone, they're forgiven, we can be reconciled. I can actually dwell not just with you, but in you. And guess what that is? That's life. Now that's being born again or regenerated. So you'll see this all throughout the chapter. Um, as a matter of fact, let me just show you an instance or two of it. Look at verse number 21. Look at verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Do you see what, what's in the discussion? How to get life and how to become righteous. See, born again, get life. How to become righteous, justification. See, those two things. Now Paul, his point is the law could never do that. The law wasn't meant to do that. The law was given, it, it had a temporary purpose to get the people to Christ, to keep them in line until the Messiah showed up. So the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, right? So look at verse 23. Uh, do I want 23? Let, let's just come down. Yeah, verse 24, sorry. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. There's that word. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. Watch the next thing. For we are all the children of God by faith. There's born again. So he goes back and forth, back and forth. All right, look at Galatians 3, verse number 2. 
Galatians 3 verse 2, This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Notice the two systems that he's going to compare. Is it the works of the law or the hearing of faith? Which one was it? How did you receive the Spirit? Receiving the Spirit, by the way, that's how you get regenerated. So that's, that's in the discussion. Now Paul's going to go through and talk about how Abraham received it and so forth. And then come down to verse number uh, 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. What is the end of the law? Well, if you could actually keep all of the laws, then you have a chance at life. But the fact of the matter is you can't. No one can. So Paul's point is very valid. If you don't continue in all things written in the law, then you're going to end up cursed. So he's making a very solid point about one system. If you're trusting in the works of the law, it's going to end up with a curse. You're going to end up punished. Okay? Verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. Now, how, how could Paul say this with such confidence to say it's very clear, it's evident? It's right there in front of you that no one can be justified by the law. And then he quotes, look at what he quotes in verse 11, for the just shall live by faith. He goes right back to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. So on one side, this system of the law, he says it's going to end up with a curse. But there's another system that God promised to give us. And God himself responded to the prophet Habakkuk and said, the just shall live by faith. Now, in Habakkuk, it was the just to live by his faith, but Paul's made it clear we're talking about the faith of Jesus Christ. Yeah? So he says it's evident the just shall live. Habakkuk did not say the just shall live by the works of the law. That's not what Habakkuk said. He said the just shall live by faith. So if a man wants to be just and he wants to live, it's going to be done by faith and not by the works of the law. So the reason Paul says it's evident is because it's right there in the Scripture. There's a, there's a biblical verse to back this up. This is not just Paul making it up saying this is what I think will work to get us back to God. He's using biblical proof. Verse 12, the law and the law is not of faith. You can't mix the two systems. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. He's, and he quotes from... Um, the book of Leviticus there. The man that doeth them shall live in them. So according to the law, if you want to get life from keeping the law, you have to do the law. You can't just believe that the law came from God. You have to actually do what's written in the law. But he gave you another verse there. We read it in verse 10. He's also quoting Moses that says if you want, if, if you want to do it right, you have to continue in all things. So look at what the law is asking from you. If you want to be justified and have life from the law, you have to not just believe it, but continue in all things. Well, Paul's showing this system can't work. It can't bring us into a right position with God. Not completely. It can never give life. That's what we read in verse number 21. It was never meant to do that. Look at verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. 
So if you just stopped at verse 12, you might look at that and go, well, man, if, if you have to do everything in the law or else you're cursed, then aren't we all cursed? Yes. But thank God it doesn't stop at verse 12. <laughs> thank God at some point in history, God showed up on earth and said, here's the way back to the Father. You don't have to abide under the curse. There is a way to get out from underneath that, get into blessing and life, justification, righteousness, and here, I'm going to make the path clear for you. Here's how you get back. So verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Right? So he's going to go on. This isn't a lesson on Galatians 3, but it does give you a better idea, I think, of what's going on in this chapter. Paul's making this great comparison between those two systems of belief. All right, uh, take your Bible, just turn a couple pages. You know what? I want you to hold that, if you will. Hold that. Just turn a couple pages to Colossians 2 and verse 6. I'm going to wrap this up just now. Colossians 2 and verse 6. Now, I just read you a verse here. We read it together. It talked about that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. When God delivers that record to you and says, here's what I did for you. I sent my Son. You have to accept it. Or you can say you have to receive it. Another way to say that is you have to believe it. Right? And once you receive that record that God gave of His Son, He that has the Son has life. That's how you get born again. So you, you receive that by faith. You receive life, justification, all of that by faith. Not by doing good things and then now you've earned it. Now, the reason I want that to be clear is Colossians 2 verse 6. Paul says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. So you need to clearly understand how you received Him and that will help you walk in Him as well. Right? Now, you can actually reverse engineer this a little bit. There's a very clear verse on walking, on how we're supposed to walk with God. I bet you know it. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Right? We walk by faith. So Paul gives us the last half of this. As you've received him, so walk ye in him. How do you walk in him? You walk by faith. So that means, how do you receive him? I receive him by faith. Not by joining up to some elaborate system of religious ritual or any of that. I receive him by faith. Now, this is by faith we receive life from Jesus Christ. Justification cleanses us in his blood and so forth. Come back to Galatians 2. And, and I want to take Habakkuk 2.4 one step further. The just shall live by his faith. Okay, This is true for how we receive life and how we become justified. We get that by faith. I've shown you that, yes, in Galatians? Okay, that, so that, I, think, I hope that's clear. But then we can actually understand it another way. Now that you've been justified, and now that you're alive in the Spirit, how are you supposed to live? Right? The just shall live by faith. Now that I am alive and I have been justified, I am going to walk in that faith. 
So it's not just a once-off thing where I receive Christ and now that's all I have to do with His faith. That's it. He told me how to be saved and now I'm going to go to heaven one one day. There's more to it. He says, now that I've saved you, I'm going to live inside of you and every day walk with you. Right, Lord, how do you want me to do this? Is, is there a, a set of rituals? Do I have to say certain things at certain times? What, what are the rules? How do I live this Christian life? And he says, you do it the same way you got saved. The same way you receive me, that's how you're going to walk with me. I told you how to get saved. You accepted it. Now I'm going to tell you how to live. And I want you to accept that. Galatians 2 verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's not just how to get saved and go to heaven when you die. It's how to spend every moment you have on this earth. How do you want me to do that, Lord? He says, follow me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm not, I'm not here to just give you a free pass. Here's a free ticket to heaven. Get out of hell free card. Much more than that. The just shall live by faith. Not only how you get life, but how you live that life out. It's both parts. Now, uh, we're, we're close to it. Come back a few pages to Romans 10 again. We read in Habakkuk, the soul which is lifted up, is not upright in him. Yes? The soul which is lifted up. So now that we've talked about faith and what it does, how it operates, now let's try to understand the first part of that verse. For God to show up and say, here's the record. Here's what I think of my son. Here's what I believe my son can do for you. Now I'm speaking as a man, right? God would not say, I believe this is how it is. God would just say, this is how it is. I'm I'm speaking as a man. But for God to show up and go, here's what my son can do, and for you to say, I got my own plan. The soul that is lifted up is not upright. Remember, to be upright, the man thinks he's righteous in the sight of God. He's upright. He he thinks, I I got it. I'm, I'm, I'm upright. I'm standing in a good way. And he says, no, if it's not in my way, it's not a good way. Romans 10, look at verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You know what, uh, who Paul is talking about here? Verse 2, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Religious, religious people trying to do right. They have a zeal. They're active in it. Talk about God all the time. But they have not submitted to God's way of doing it. And he says, the soul that's lifted up is not upright. That guy's not justified. Because he's trying to do it his way, not my way. The greatest thing you'll ever do is agree with God. I want you to think about it. I know that, that might sound like a flippant statement. I'm not meaning it just casually. I mean it seriously. The greatest thing you'll ever do is agree with God. Because how can two walk together except they be agreed? That's what the walk of faith is all about. God, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'll agree with you. I'm on your side. And where these religious people went wrong is trying to say, well, 
we'll show God just how good we are. Rather than saying, God, tell me how to be what you want me to be. I'll just finish with this idea. God, help me. I'm so bad at time management. <laughs> I, thought I'd, I thought I'd finish on time today. If Jesus were to walk in the building today, wouldn't that be nice? Man, wouldn't that be nice? But if Jesus were to grace us with his physical presence today, walk in the building and, and come to you and say, uh, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Do you know who Jesus said that to? You go look at that in Matthew 11. He said that right after dealing with a bunch of religiously proud people that thought they had it all figured out, that thought they were wise and prudent, and they weren't. And he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know what they need rest from? They're working so hard to prove that they're right. He said, take my yoke and learn of me. Let me teach you. Take my yoke upon you. I'll go with you. I'll do the work with you. Now, the, the question is really, how would you respond to that if Jesus stepped into the building and did that today? Now, let me give you the good news as you think about your answer. He's not physically here, but he is spiritually. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit walks into the room, taps you on the shoulder, says, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Let me show you how to do this, step by step, day by day. For the just shall live by his faith. All right, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Father, thank you for the great lesson that you give us in Scripture. Lord, regardless of whether or not I struggle to get the words out, I believe the Holy Spirit can do the work in the hearts of these people. And if anybody here is not... Uh, saved, never been justified or born again, might this be the day that they accept what you did in sending your Son for us. I pray that you bless the service to come and our fellowship to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.